Welcome to Loaded Goat, your podcast about the Andy Griffith Show. I'm Chris. I'm Aaron. And before we get into today's episode, we have a very special guest, Josie Montana McCoy. This is a longtime friend of mine, and this is actually the first guest I think I have brought on the show. So, Josie, you're coming against a long stable of Aaron's friends, and so you have to help me seem cool uh, relative Ah. to to his folks. So I mean, he's already got the name of a gun of an old west gunslinger. So I think that's that really gives him so much coming out of the gate. Little extra oomph right out of the gate. Yeah, that's right. My dad named me after the outlaw Josie Wales, his favorite western. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you find yourself in the hallowed halls of the Loaded Goat. Gosh, you know, uh, again, my name is Josie. Um, I'm an actor. I live in L.A. Mainly do voiceover stuff now. After the pandemic, I was doing a, a regular stage gig down at Disney because I've got my origins are in stage performance, which is actually how I met Chris. My first time in Montana, my middle namesake, was working at his home theater and there in Helena, Montana, Grant Street Theater. Shout out. So that's the, uh, that's the genesis of Chris Cordingly and Josie Montana McCoy relationship. When I heard, when you asked and told me you had an Andy Griffith podcast, I, I can't tell you the joy that overcame me. If you were to describe like a color inside, like what did it change your aura at all? Or like, what did that feel like? It was a soft purple, like a lilac. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I th- I'm going to already tell you this is, this gets to see <laughs> in a banter is different than anything I have ever booked. So I just want to point this out right now. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, we'd like to hear a little bit about a feud is a feud. Cause I think you were on one specific side of the feud. Tell it like it is. Tell all story about why. Indeed. I am a direct descendant of the McCoys of the Hatfield and McCoy feud. Randall McCoy, so epically played by Bill Paxton in the History Channel series most recently, about 10 years ago. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. He, uh, he was my great, 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 great uncle. It's, I believe it's oh, six that's close. Grades. That's yeah. a close connection. It's not, not too bad, right? So obviously, yeah, I, I have a side, if you will. And, you know, the, the McCoys have always passed down their story. I'm not, not sure what the Hatfields do, but the McCoys have passed down their story in a, uh, a book that from generation to generation, they'll, you know, they add your name into the book at the end and the index and all this stuff or the appendix. So you can look all that up. But the McCoys pass their story down that way. You know, it's hard to understand these days because a lot of people like to joke, Oh, it all started with pig. You know, somebody stole a hog, which, is true from all, from all accords that, that I know. You know, if you watch the History Channel series, there's a little more involving war and which side and, and even, um, deserting which side, et cetera, et cetera. I hadn't heard that story. I don't know that part of the story, but everything else, I mean, I, with a lot of accuracy, that was the story that I was sort of raised on. One and, question for you there is on the mini series, mm-hmm. which I really think it's one of the better, at least modern era, one of the better television miniseries. I was um, shocked. Put on, yeah. Yeah. Is there a level of better? I mean, because the way it ends for uh, Bill Paxton in the show is not, he ends up just obviously, it doesn't end up, it doesn't end well for him. Was there, is that just, was that generally how it happened? I mean, or is that how it's told with the family? True. Yeah. As far as, as far as I've always heard, or as far as I remember, I suppose uh, my dad is, uh, he could be considered the family historian for sure of the whole family. But, you know, and people ask frequently, like, how did it end? You know, uh, is it still going on? You know, now we have trails named after the Hatfields and McCoys and we've got, you know, festivals and things like that. I, I think it just sort of kind of petered out in a way, just with too much senseless killing. Because as I said, sure, it started with a hog. But when you think about it, in those times in 1860, 1870, a hog was your food for the winter for your family. And then there was a Hatfield who sat as judge and they took the court in West Virginia, et cetera, et cetera. Just to corrupt people, those Hatfields. Just, just to corrupt people. Thank you for understanding. My, my <laughs> father must have spoken to you. <laughs> and as far as a feud as a feud goes, man, what, what I love, literally, I mean, what are we dealing with? I think it's a 23-minute episode. Mm-hmm. The first 11 minutes, well, the first two minutes, you know, they set it up. The next nine minutes are just Andy Griffith telling the story of Romeo and Juliet in such a perfectly, I mean, because you want to talk about like being from the area, being from the Appalachians. Th- those are the kinds of stories I grew up with. And that's how people tell them. 
so watching that, I mean, it brought back memories of, I mean, my, my father's still alive, thank goodness, but it brought back memories of my dad. It brought back memories of his grandmother, of his grandfather. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so relatable the way that Andy tells it. And also he's, they're absolutely right. Even back in the sixties, like there was 100% a Romeo and Juliet story between the Hatfields and McCoys, John Z. Hatfield, Roseanne McCoy, and that in the miniseries they nailed because it was uh Capulets and Montagues, a hundred percent as far as that goes. What I truly going back to that, I love about this episode is they dedicate that nine minutes to just like over a third of the episode to just setting that up. And you're just in. I mean, I just I just love it. And then they finish with the story and they go back to what the actual storyline is, but it just fits so perfectly. It's the main takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so kind of before we also get in, I keep doing this before we get in, we, we get in. So yeah. the crux of this podcast, so the, the arc of, of our Aaron's and my relationship here is that he's the Andy Griffith expert and I'm learning this as we go. And he awesome. keeps telling me that we're in the golden age of Andy Griffith show, you know, mid season three coming on. We got Gomer. Do you think that's true? And it, you know, do you have a favorite episode that you'd be willing to share with us? Oh, you know, I think I think you're absolutely right. That season three, because I my main experience with Andy Griffith's show is are the black and white episodes. Sure, I've seen some of the color stuff and I've seen some of the, the stuff that they remastered with their Technicolor and such black and white episodes, season two, season three. They're really starting to understand. I mean, even in season one with with the feud is a feud. You see they're like delving into that, like trying to find our way with these wonderful loving stories but there's problems so we're gonna sit and smoke about it we're gonna you know do these <laughs> things and you know we're gonna have a little bit of matlock this is a matlock moment years before matlock <laughs> you think um, he's for he's foreshadowing matlock yeah totally he's just that's he's like man i'm gonna play a great detective one day not to say that andy is not a wonderful detective um no, they're kind of in a they're kind of like matlock and andy griffith it's kind of almost like i've always told chris it's a southern fried perry mason but both andy griffith both andy taylor and ben matlock see details in little things that the rest of the other people around them just don't see yeah yeah absolutely and i think that you know those cylinders are really firing in season three when we're dealing with uh this golden era that you talk about, especially not only with Andy, but with Barney, with Gomer, with these background characters that I have always loved so much. And, you know, I'm not one for people making fun of the dialect. I'm not one for people making fun of the area. I just never think they do that. Even, even when they go to these extremes of characterization, you can find those people that they're creating on screen. You can find them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Not just in Mayberry, a population of 120, not just in Inez, where I grew up, population 600, but here in Burbank, California, you can go out on the street and run into one of those people. They just happen to accentuate them in ways that, that nobody else can, especially, I mean, Don Knotts is the king. Yeah. So that, that would be my long answer to the golden era question. All right. I'll take it. Yeah. We may want to segue, especially as we talk about voiceover work and things like that. I will definitely want to get your thoughts um, as we as we go through the episode. One right. th- as a thing I asked before we go in is as a voiceover person, can you give us a in a world voice before like you see in a trailer, <laughs> like you hear in a trailer? I just really would like to hear that. Yeah, these aren't the typical things I would audition for, but I still love to do them <laughs> in a world where Andy Taylor I don't know. I don't know what to give you, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Are you working on anything currently voiceover stuff? I am. Yeah. I've, um, I frequently go back in for work on a downloadable content for a game that a lot of people know called Genshin Impact. That was sort of a bigger, uh, more recent project that I did right before the pandemic started. And luckily, like I said, there's downloadable content for that game. So I go back in and record sporadically. Um, I was also just able to announce my first uh, television animation gig that is called Bat Wheels. It's going to be on HBO Max and Cartoon Network in the fall. And I play the Riddler's helicopter oh, in, a, awesome. in a very fun Gotham world for preschoolers. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it, where great. is the, where can the uh, the game you were mentioning is it is it a, online or is it like a PlayStation Xbox deal or 
It is a mobile game. It's on PC and it's on PS4. And it's okay. cross-compatible with all those. So I think you can sign into one and then continue playing on the other. Do you know any cheat codes? I only get cheat codes when I go in to record and I'm sworn to seek. No, I don't know any cheat codes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have people help me play this game. I, I stream it sometimes. And that's the only time that I play it so that people can help me because people tune in and they'll be like, no, 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 it's okay. I understand. They're so nice too. They're like, I get it. This was hard for me my first time too. Just turn around, look for that. It's great. Well, your it's voice great. comes on and taunts you when you lose. You have no idea. Those are some weird moments when I'm like not doing anything and I'm talking to some people who are on my chat. And then all of a sudden I hear my voice say, oh, I didn't know you were such a slacker. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, Aaron, why don't you take us through season three, episode 15, High Noon in Mayberry? Did I get that right? You did. You did. So this episode first aired on January 21st, 1963, and was written by Jim Fritzell and Everett Greenbaum. They did say that this story was inspired by the movie High Noon, which it has kind of a high noon type aura to it. I mean, it doesn't take place in real time or and there's not a shootout in the street, but there is an ominous feeling throughout this episode. Super spooky. Yeah. All the night vision. You know, yeah, really that does. It, yeah, there is a lot of there are a lot of shots at night for sure, more so than I guess in a typical episode. That's true. Thank you for for giving me that space to say that. You're welcome. You You're did welcome. it. Yeah. <laughs> so we open with Andy, Barney, and Otis at the jail. The mail arrives with a whistle, which is what mailmen used to do when they delivered the mail. Billy Ray, the mailman, insists on putting it in the mail slot, and he's actually played by Dub Taylor, who. He's got to be familiar to all to everybody. I mean, he was character actor who worked from 1938 to 1994. He's in a number of westerns and comedies, ranging from The Wild Bunch to Back to the Future Three. I mean, just in quite Bonnie and Clyde, just in quite a few, quite a few things. And he's got one of those voices that's just hard to hard to forget. I thought this was super fun. So he says, you know, you got to be a proper federal receptacle, and then he can't get it in the like. <laughs> He keeps flubbing and then mail gets stuck on the top and it goes down. And then I love him coming out, you know, saying, I'm a fed. I don't care if you're a county. He's got great lines about it. Yeah, for sure. So good. Yeah. And there's a letter each for Barney and Andy. Barney's stock investment has produced dividends and he has received 27 cents. You know, and so that's going to go a long way. Andy received. I was actually, I was actually wondering, do you know what that would be nowadays? Like, what, what are we actually talking about there? Because I was trying to truly dissect three that joke. Yeah. You know, you know, it's a shame I'm not sitting near a device that can um, that can help us do this uh, right. Do this right now. I mean, so if you'll bear with me for one second, I, I was trying you. to think, you know, at this point, what are we talking? Cheeseburgers are like five cents at McDonald's. Yeah. I would oh, say, yeah, that's true. A couple a couple burgers. Let's also, see. like, were we in a bear market or a bull market? Like, is this huh? is this is this a surprise? You know, do we expect this dividend? Are we living off this dividend? Yeah. How does that factor into our long-term retirement planning, Aaron? So he couldn't really buy, he could buy basically a McDonald's cheeseburger. It's $2.55. So he could basically, he could get something off the dollar menu at McDonald's and a soda. And I think that's, that would pretty much be all he could do. So he's not really going towards retirement, but he could, he could get a meal in a pinch. I had yeah. kind of my first big settlement this weekend. I got a check in the mail. I had dangerously signed something that came toward me in the mail that I kind of regretted afterward. Um, but I joined a class action lawsuit against Drizzly, the alcohol delivery company. Yeah. Yeah. And I got $11 in the mail yesterday. Not bad. No. Not Did anybody bad. else get in on that? I didn't get in on that. Now, I will get, I do get, you know, notifications online about signing up for lawsuits. And if I qualify, I do sign up and occasionally I'll get a little bit of money. I mean, it's nothing, nothing substantial. I mean, I feel like, Not like if, $11. No, it's, yeah, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you can buy a, an entire value meal at McDonald's with $11. Oh, dollars. Yeah. Extra no. large. Yeah. I mean, I, I never had Drizzly, but I guarantee you a friend of mine who used Drizzly got in on that as well. Good, good. Well, let, yeah. we should have a let, let them know. Let them know yeah. there are others out you guys, there. You guys can have a quarter pounder together or something. That'd be great. Yeah. Good way for y'all to connect. <laughs> the other letter that is sent is Andy. Andy gets it from Luke Comstock, a man Andy shot in the leg in a gas station hold, hold up. You want to know what's interesting? Can I cut you off here again, yeah. Aaron? Okay. Yeah. So coming out of, a couple weekends ago, Memorial Day weekend, I was having my family met up with our close family friend, Randy Turner. 
we were having actually quarter pounders. And he was telling, he was talking about this, that Luke Comstock, well, Leo Gordon, it's actually very similar to the actors, very similar to the character. Um, Leo, who played Luke Comstock, um, had a very, very turbulent past. Like we're talking real turbulent and included that he was also shot by the police during an arrest and of an armed robbery and served time in Sam Quentin, which if we're talking about weird coincidences, later on, he appeared in the 1954 film Riot, Riot in Cell Block 11. And then he went on from there. He wrote screenplays, primarily for director Roger Corman, resulting in movies titled similarly to the type of things that would be on Mayberry's Grand Theater, such as the 59 film Attack of the Giant Leeches. Can we imagine how terrifying that would be? And he also wrote for the series Maverick, Bonsai, and Adam, Adam 12. So, so you were, you were, you were, you were hanging out with Randy? Yeah. You guys talk? Yeah. Yeah, we do holidays. I don't like this, Christopher. I don't like this one. <laughs> I'm bit. cutting you off. I'm booking my own talent, and I'm hanging out with your talent. This <laughs> safe. We're, we, we, we need to have a conversation after we're done, after this recording is over. That's some deep info there. That is some deep info. Randy Very is, interesting. Randy is one of the... Preeminent expert. Preeminent Andy, Andy Griffith, historian expert. He's uh, He's written several books. Most recently, he put out the Mayberry Travel Guide, which gives all of these this info on the history of Mount Airy, which was obviously where Andy Griffith was from, but also the surrounding areas and their connection to the show and just places you should you should visit. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He was telling he was he was telling me one of the things that he that I think would really just be fascinating to see is the UNC is at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Andy Griffith gave all of his old scripts from the show. So you can go in and look at him and see his handwritten notes. And I mean, it's really fascinating what, what they, what the, what the treasure trove that's available there. Wow. I, I wouldn't have given them to UNC, but uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Well, that's his, that's his alma mater. So <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, yeah, you, you can cut him a little slack. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so Luke Comstock and that's so that, so that limp we see, I guess is genuine. It's not like he's putting on, I suppose. No, I think it's the real, I think it had gone game, which Jeez. is a term that we should start. Like, <laughs> I just, it sounds like the meat is like, implies that you're going to eat human flesh, I think. And that it gone game, it's like a little too, you know, it's gone sour. Game, yeah. You know? There's, and there's an active, like, it's still going sour. <laughs> yeah, so can we slow the gangrene, please? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's, yeah, and it's one where I feel like if somebody would say, like, if you, I feel like it almost sounds insulting when they say, yeah, you're leg here is gone game i mean i don't know it's also like i guess it's better than saying notice you're walking with a limp here i mean i don't know, I don't know what a polite way to say that <laughs> yeah. is also interesting that it was a gas station shootout yeah, yeah. dangerous explosions baby incredibly dangerous i mean to make that decision andy had to be in a very specific situation yeah i mean there's never this is the only the first time i think it's ever been referenced of them of andy participating in a shootout but it's yeah. become clear on the episodes that he's a crack shot. So you could totally see him just being able to take out a guy's guy's right leg, the leg. And shoot out. Yeah. Yeah. So Barney thinks Luke is coming to town to gun him down in the in the in the street, which his letter he could have probably given how this episode shakes out, Luke probably could have had somebody read this letter and give him a little coaching about how to <laughs> reach out to his uh, the man who shot him. But you know Maybe. that's that's neither here nor there. So I do this. I, can I can I give some professional advice there directly? So I do this with emails at work because I do something I termed tone reading, where if I think something's going to come across kind of angry, I read it in the meanest tone that I can imagine and see if if that's either what I want to send or if I should tone it back a bit. Tone reading. I like it. Yeah. So if you ever get a nasty email from me, you you know it was intentional. Yeah, it was definite. <laughs> yeah, it was well okay. thought out. I'm kind of like, if I'm mad at you and I'm writing you an email, I'm like, I don't need to read it to myself. I know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> so he warns Andy that he needs to be prepared. He says everything about that letter means one thing. R-E-V-E-N-G. <laughs> Revang? Revang? It's funny. It's, it's great. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, we got, a, we got a Barney Fife there. You got oh, more in there? Yeah, can you can you do it? Now, Andy, I told you. What are we supposed to do? Something, something. I like it. I like it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So Barney tells Andy he needs to get out of town. Andy won't do it. Barney asks to deputize some of the boys. Andy refuses. 
And this is one where we, um, I, I'll, I've, I've got a thought on this, but I'll wait till we get to the deputization. They get a call and Miss Peterson's cat Fluffy is on the roof and Andy goes to help uh, Miss Peterson. But Barney insists he take his gun. And this may be my favorite line in the show. And Andy says, I won't need it, Barn. Fluffy and I have been friends for years. It's and so good. It is good stuff. So you two are both cat owners, though. Like, yeah. let's get on the roof. Indeed. Can't they get down? I don't let my cat outside, so that's yeah. our cats. Our cats are also inside. They yeah. they'll find a way down, but also you just you just never know. We had a cat growing up that used to like to climb trees, and then she would just stay up there until the fire department came to get her. To, I mean, and I'm talking sixty feet. Oh, she was just uh, a diva. Yeah, and it's like, oh my gosh, you, you can't talk her down for some reason. Once she, uh, literally, three different times, the fire department came to get my cat out of a sixty foot tree. <laughs> I have a cat who is she's indoors and she she can be she can be skittish. I mean, she she really only trusts getting really near me and hanging out with me as if I'm laying down on the bed. Otherwise, she because she kind of keeps her distance and she can get frustrated. And so when we moved into our new house, she stayed behind the washing machine and dryer, which was, you know, it's almost impossible to get behind and, and reach her. Stay there. I mean, finally, after about three days, I was like, I've got to get you out of here because you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to stay here. And so I had to basically get my wife to hold my legs while I reached down and, <laughs> oh, pulled, really? and pulled her out of the, pulled her out of there. So that's the equivalent of, uh, of a, I guess, an indoor house cat getting into a, get climbing a tree. Oh, I yeah. I see. Luckily, you and Fluffy have been friends for years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and apparently, uh, Evergreen Robin's cat, I think his name growing up was Fluffy. So that was the cat. And that's where they got the name. Wow. So we dissolved to Barney deputizing Gomer and Otis. And I don't know about you, but I feel safer already with, um, oh, with yeah. seeing this. Definitely. I, well, this is also the moment that makes Gomer a reoccurring character, right? I mean, he shows up and, you know, we saw him last week in Man in a Hurry. And, um, you know, obviously we saw him in the bank job. But this is, yeah, this is pretty much where, you know, Gomer Pyle at this point is here to, is here to stay. But... The thing about deputizing Otis, I feel like if Howard McNear, who plays Floyd the Barber, hadn't had the str- hadn't had his stroke, I feel like this would have been Floyd being deputized at this point. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. It's very interesting that, you know, I mean, but also this, this is the way small towns can work sometimes that the local drunk gets deputized. Oh, yeah. He's been deputized before. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you, do you think that it would they would have added Floyd to the scene or do you think they would have swapped out Gomer or, uh, or Otis? Either or, I mean, because you could tell, but you could tell, you, you just don't see something Barney pulling a stunt like this without pulling, without bringing Floyd in. No, no, mm-hmm. no, you need him for sure. Yeah. And they're not crazy about being deputies, but Barney makes them do it. He says it's going to be a plain clothes operation. So <laughs> he doesn't know he's being monitored. <laughs> and this is the first time Gomer is actually deputized in the series, but it's going to, you'll see it happen more often. Okay. Does he get better at it? Uh, well, I mean, he might say he does. <laughs> uh, I don't know about what you might think, but, but I think he does all right. My sister does a better one. My sister does a better gomer. I, um, my, so my, when I went to, my wife is from Arizona. And so the first time I ever went to Arizona, really actually that far out west was when I went home to meet her family for the first time. And so we're driving along and I'm like carrying on about how neat it is to see cactus cactus for the first time and just kind of an open setting. And I'm just kind of like, wow, this is like nothing I'd ever seen. And her dad just says, Becky, you didn't tell me you were bringing Gomer Pyle home, <laughs> home this weekend. And um, and so I just kind of leaned into it and I went, Shazam. But I mean, that's the, um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. But, so it's, a, I think I would almost have to, would you, Josie, would you have to think that probably every southerner at a certain age has, has has done a gomer pile impression at some point oh absolutely you own it you cling to the relationship that gomer could possibly be of your hometown or of your area absolutely yeah a colloquial hero if you will he definitely oh. is that hmm. and so later at the taylor household andy and barney are playing dominoes and gomer is sneaking around outside um, he whistles and Barney goes outside. This is great. Just how fast it is. Right. And he's yeah. trying to go to bed. Barney's like, no, give me another. Give me. And I was surprised it was actually late when Andy was yeah. like, I'm tired. I expected it to be 845. You know, uh-huh. I don't but it was close them. to 11. They're getting, yeah. they're getting a little turn. Yeah. I mean, I'm just also a little bit like, you know, 
I don't know. I feel like Andy and Barney are so are close enough friends where it's like, Barney, you got to get out of my house. It's like, I don't want to play any more dumb bits. <laughs> but Gomer's hiding behind a bush and scares Barney. But it's clear here he and Otis are just taking over to keep an eye on Andy. That character, that 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 prop space work, he falls into that bush. Oh my god, oh, it's so and good. back up. It's so effortless. And I, my first thought was, how many times did did he ask to do that beforehand? Did he even try beforehand, or did he just go for it? Those also, are like, he was caught by the bush. Like it <laughs> does spring him back beautifully. Yeah. Yes. You know, he's. I've I've always kind of felt like. I mean, obviously, Michael Richards, who played Kramer, has had. Has had has had his issues, but I mean, he's probably I think as far as physical comedians go, one of the. I mean, he was like the closest thing as far as just gifted physical comedians that I've seen. Think we've seen to Don Knotts, and he and, and you know watch. We don't have as much because there's not the DVD interviews of Don Knotts talking about the meticulous thought he put into it. But based on everything with Michael Richards, I mean, anytime he had a bit like that, he spent so much time thinking about it and you know working with like especially if it was carrying weight or something that he was really giving it serious thoughts you have to imagine the the bush in the fall that we just kind of you know you're just kind of like it's almost seems like he does it effortlessly Lord knows how many many times he did it yeah yeah i totally agree yeah oh hey jerry (laughs) josie have you ever played a role that's kind of quirky like one of these gosh weren't you like tiny tim or something no, good no, physical? I never, I never was. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> I mean, not that I think tiny. Oh, what does Tiny Tim do? I mean, basically, he just gets carried around. I mean, it's not great really, physical comedian. Yeah, God bless really, us, everyone. I, I've never thought that. Yeah, that Tiny Tim, he's a real hoot. I mean, he's you know, spry. Yeah. I mean, maybe Twenty Fifth Cuttingham County Spelling Bee. Uh, I've forgotten the character's name. That's a good show, though. So That's good. Show. Yeah. Right. What a good talk we just had. Yeah. Wow. Let's have another. <laughs> Aaron, help us out. So I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. All I can do is move, keep us moving. So. <laughs> Andy starts to go outside, but here's Otis running around and he realizes what's happening and he just goes, and Aunt B hears Otis running around outside and goes to the window to ask who's there. Otis makes a silly cat's meow. Is that a pot? Aunt B just drops yeah. out the window on him. I think so. I thought she was just going to pour the water on his head, yeah. which would have been funny enough. Nah, just <laughs> drops it. Does, so do we think she knows it's Otis? She, I think she knows something's going on. But at the same time, I wonder, because Aunt B has always reminded me of my great grandmother, Nance, as they called her. Her name was Nancy, but Nance. There's something to be said about like whether it's Otis or whether it's some peeping Tom she doesn't know, like she's just going to do this anyway. I do, and like I think that. that that's I think that's kind of very ambiish. Well, and yeah. I also like though because she was scared earlier, right? So she left to go to Clara's, and then somehow ends back at home asleep. Here's someone rustling outside the house, and she's like, mm, "I'll throw a pot and go back to sleep." Hey, are, are you like are you like not responsible for what you do when you wake up for the first like five seconds? <laughs> I would agree with that. But to clarify, doesn't she go to Clara's late? He goes. She goes to Clara's later, right? Well, am I off on this? I think you might be off. I think you might. It's night. The second. Oh, night she goes to that's Clarence. right. Because oh, that's when Andy's actually worried. Yeah. 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 We have our Matlock smoke. At, at this point, Andy, Aunt B doesn't know what's going on. Okay. Well, that's yeah. clear. <laughs> <laughs> Aunt no, it's, pronounced, it's pronounced Clara. 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 Get it? <laughs> Next morning, Andy tells Barney that he doesn't need bodyguards. Andy says he's going to the post office just to mail a letter and Barney goes to the window to mess with the blinds just to give a signal to, I mean, it's as smooth as could be to give a signal to Otis and Gomer. And Andy just finally is like, look, Comstock might not even show up. And then we cut to the bus stop and a man with a limp carrying a shotgun case gets off with a game leg. A game. game Yeah. Yeah. He is shot from the waist down and we will not see his face till the end of the episode. And this was also the case in high noon. We go to the and then we go to the commercial. Such such an ominous shot, um, yeah. and it makes me think, especially with that knowledge that you gave us, Chris, from your, y'all's friend. Can you imagine? I mean, especially from my perspective of being the actor, can you imagine auditioning for that role and then in walks? You're like, oh well, there's their Comstock. Why am I even here at this audition? This guy's got a lamp. He brought his gun with him for God's sake and his rap sheet. I, Very similar. Do you guys remember the commercial? It's a Geico commercial where 
the Taco Bell dog a couple of years after he had been retired walks out and says, Oh great. A talking gecko. And then walks out of the audition room. Yes. Yes. I had forgotten about it. I love commercials. Yeah. yeah. So has, has, have you ever had it as an instance where you've gone in, you've looked at the, across the room, you're like, Oh, there's a guy sitting here. who's just tailor made. It's never happened directly. Not necessarily in the room. After the fact, there have been times where I've known somebody or you better yet, you see the person who you were auditioning with. And you're like, ah, of course they got it. Yeah. I, I guess the, the one time specifically, now that I think about it, when I was a, when I was a kid, I auditioned in New York for a thousand clowns with Tom Selleck, a play with mm. Tom Selleck. And I knew that this kid who was in the callback with me, um, had been in the movie Man on the Moon. And then I watched Man on the Moon and I was like, oh yeah, he's probably going to book it. So it was Did slightly he? different, but it was one of those things like, oh, they've seen this guy on the, on the picture shows. He's, that- he's going to book it. Was it Man on the Moon with, uh, is that, was that the Andy Kaufman? Yeah, Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman, yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you also, with Don Knotts, I mean, Don Knotts was doing voiceover work pretty much until the end of his life. I mean, I think he, I think his, I can't remember what it was, but there were some, you know, animated, animated uh, cartoons, there were some cartoons that came out right around either after he passed away or right before he passed away. And I didn't know if that's something you see often is that there are older actors that you're, when you're, you're doing voiceover work that come in and do and do voiceover work with you. You know, I'm so I'm so kind of I feel like a noob in the voiceover Mm -hmm. world. But I mean, I guess I I do have to say it was a shock. This most recent project that I was talking about, Batwheels, when I found out that the guy who plays SpongeBob SquarePants is also one of the bad guys in it. So we don't necessarily work together, but just knowing that he's also in the Legion of Zoom, Zoom, as we're called. Um, is pretty is pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. So is it is it kind of? I mean, because I've always I've seen it. Is it if you do it if you have a scene with somebody, do you go in and just sit and do the scene together like you would as a as a uh, as two actors doing a scene, or can it often be a very isolated process? It's typically a very isolated process. I know that this could be different, especially in a post COVID or specifically pre COVID world. Maybe there was a little more of that, but now it's. Fairly isolated. A lot of the time when you go into the studio, it's just you. And then on the other side of the glass, an engineer and then the director and producer might zoom or Skype in, whatever it may be. But I actually, you know, I'm a big Star Wars nerd, as I've told you, but, um, as I've told you both, but not your audience. Now they know were, too. I no, actually had to rebook this. A, cause I, I thought I had COVID. B, because Josie then went to Star Wars Con. That's He's right. right. And that you guy. don't have, you don't have COVID, right, Christopher? <clears throat> Not yet. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm off track. Now I'm just thinking Star Wars. Now, how, how was Star Wars? How was Star Wars going? Oh my gosh, so much fun! It's so hard to describe, like you know, because you think my wife was even like, "It's hard for me to think about what it's like." Did you guys just like walk around one big room and see all the tables and like, mm, mm, yes, ah, and I'm like, well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Except there's like four of those big rooms and then there's two other floors and then this and this and this. But it's like, you know, you reach the end of the con and they show this video with all these interviews they've done with people that you haven't even met because there are thousands of people there. But it's just like mutual love you have for whatever, whatever it is, whatever con you're at, that mutual love you have with everybody there is just like, ah, this is too much fun. And you took your son Lincoln. Did he did he love it? Was it cool? I mean, he's seen things he's never seen before. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I, I mean, I'm trying to keep, you know, the Empire Strikes Back secret, you know, that we all know. I'm trying to keep that from him, but you know, it's getting harder and harder, but he did. He had a good time. He, uh, he's almost three and we had used our little backpack carrier for the first time. He, he had a blast. Good. Good. Oh, let's see. This was about voiceover. This is about Star Wars Con. I remembered why we were talking about this. I found this fascinating because just yesterday I went to a panel at the Star Wars convention and one of my favorite shows is the Bad Batch, Star Wars oh. Bad Batch. And I knew that the guy who voices like most of the clones does a lot of them. I didn't know that the guy who voices most of the clones voices all of the Bad Batch characters. So all five of the Bad Batch guys and they will, the two of them, the guy who plays all the male voices and the young male voice they will go into the studio together and play out the scene and he will do all of them in the same take. And they like did an example of it on stage. And like, I, I, before they started, I was like, there's no way they do that. Surely they go 
character by character. They're like, no, a lot of times, like, especially if somebody's reading the stage direction to us, we can just go in and, and it was amazing, amazing to see him. Yeah. I mean, he was talking to himself most of the time. It's wow. five, five and one. So more than likely he's talking to the other guys. And, but I did lean over to my friend and say, let the rest of us work. <laughs> <laughs> Retire already. Retire. Give me one of those roles. <laughs> Just one. Man, that's uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Well, good luck keeping that secret, the Empire Strikes Back secret. I think that he makes it six. To the, when he makes it to the age of six, I think is really about the time. If he can make it that far without learning it, I think that's the time you could probably show him the movie, I would guess. Would you think? I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. Definitely. Yeah. I feel comfortable with that. Darth Vader. Maybe one of the worst dads in cinematic. cinematic yeah, yeah. The kids probably in the room. Oh, you got, you got He's in the other room. It's cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't say whose daddy was. <laughs> <laughs> After the break, Barney is at the dinner table telling Andy that people saw Luke Comstocks and that they're going to protect him despite Andy's protests. Andy starts to argue again, and Barney says, tick a lock, which... Caught me off guard because I'm like, what does that even mean? But it actually is a phrase that Everett Greenbrom's teachers would use when they wanted kids to lock their lips and be quiet. And so that's why he says tick a lock. Oh, it's tick. I yeah. wondered. It sounded like tick, but I wondered if it was a take on take. And I wondered the, about the origin, if it had. Okay. I was going to say take a walk. Yeah. Just <laughs> take a walk. You can, you, can, you can use so many ways, but yes, yeah, apparently it's tick a lock. And. The phone rings and Andy answers and it's Luke Comstock saying he's come coming over. Andy is a bit uncomfortable and he sends Aunt B and Opie over to Clara's. It's clear he's a little bit worried because he lights up a cigarette. And Opie comes over and asks if Andy, uh, Andy is scared. He blows Andy a says, puff of smoke in Opie's face and says, no, nah, kid, I'm a scared <laughs> back to Go back to Clara's. <laughs> Clara's. Um, he says he's a little scared. But there is an ominous feeling as they leave. Andy then calls Aunt B calls Barney and asks him to keep an eye on Andy, which is the worst thing she could possibly do at this <laughs> point. But she does. And Barney says he's on it. And then back at the Taylor household, Andy, and this is something that just would not fly today. You can't just keep a pistol sitting up on top of the China, <laughs> on top of the China cabinet. But Andy that doesn't count as pistol. being locked away. No, Andy no, takes his pistol off the china cabinet and loads it. So I understand. I'm sorry. Well, one of the things uh, I was hanging out with Alan from the podcast Two Chairs No Waiting, and he was saying that there's an inn somewhere in, in Wisconsin, like a like a little hotel, that basically it, they recreated the Taylor household. And he went over there and even went over and put his head on top, and they they still had a gun on top of the the chest. So it's that meticulous. But, but Randy's never been. That's terrific. So I um so basically this is there's some real apparently like Christopher is just sharing stuff like that he's um, apparently is reaching out and spending time with these folks on his own and I am just I'm just kind of taken aback. I'm just mean, over this, here writing down the narratives of the episodes. Yeah, I mean he's just catching me off guard here. Okay, all right. Well, that's that's good to know. So what do you remember the town in Wisconsin? No, but I imagine it's really close to Wisconsin Dells. Okay. All right. Good to know. <laughs> it's in your head. It's close to the Dells. <laughs> be close I mean, Dells. you know, it's a, but of course he gets this information and he doesn't remember all of it. He just remembers <laughs> just a little bit of it. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of sitting here as I thought more about this, you know, he's got the gun and he's holding it and he's loading it. And I'm kind of like, he took this guy out once before. It's not like I, I don't I think I don't know if Andy's really worried about his safety as he is like, am I going to have to get into a shootout again? How's this? How's it? How's it going to start? Yeah. Worried about like, what's the beginning of this and where will it go from there? But yeah. Imagine you'd smell the leg is how it would start. That's like, true. Well, you think he's just walking around with the gangrene leg? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Well, we don't know. We haven't seen if he's in pain yet. We haven't seen his face. That's true. That's a good, that's a good point. I mean, I, I would imagine if you're walking around with gangrene for <laughs> 15 years or 10 years, you're probably dead. I'm no doctor, <laughs> but something tells me that that could be the case. Could be. We don't I think know. think it's spread. <laughs> it could. Yes. That's, that's why they amputate. <laughs> yeah. So 
So basically at the jail, Barney is handing out shotguns to Otis and Gomer, and Gomer just keeps pointing his shotgun at uh, at people, which I mean we talk about Barney being dangerous with the gun. Gomer Pyle with the gun is just um, He enjoys it. He enjoys yeah. it. Uh, yeah. And it's just a big joke. It's it's the kind of thing that like you couldn't even you couldn't even film that nowadays, you know, like even just because the rules on set, like you couldn't even you couldn't even do that. I was just I was, watching it like, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about it with all of because I, I have to imagine even prop guns now are prop guns with blanks. There's I mean, obviously, the Alec Baldwin shooting has taken up the news. But I mean, that was partly because of was, you know, the biggest the biggest re- revelation is that it looks like proper procedure was not wasn't, was not, followed. wasn't followed but yeah. i mean is there are there rules on sets basically saying yeah even if you're with a prop gun you only point it in particular in the scene when it's supposed to be taking place hundred thousand percent like yeah it's it's one of those things where it's you treat it like a live weapon mm-hmm. everywhere whether you're i mean we we used to have fight calls and i guess pyro we would do a pyro tests for, uh, for stage shows if there were live if there was live ammunition and live in stage and film just means it goes bang you know it doesn't necessarily mean there's a projectile from a blank 100 yeah. percent, but there's not a bullet yeah. per se that fires um projectile wise but it's yeah you don't point it at anybody you don't it's and it's very specific like you're side by side with somebody on stage so you point the gun upstage and the audience has no, even if they do, they're comfortable with it too. The audience like, is like, cool. Yeah, no, no, in front of me. We're, yeah, we're cool with this. We will buy this illusion. We are in this room <laughs> and world with you. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. I've, yeah, I've always wondered that. I mean, you, yeah. you heard about the, you know, the, the one that happened and you, both of you might be a little too young to remember this, but it was with the say, you know, when Brandon Lee was killed on the set for the crow and um, that was, that was pretty shocking. I think at that point, I think the story there was they'd accidentally replaced a bullet. It was not a projectile. They'd accidentally stuck a bullet in there. And it was one of those ones where, you know, it was tragic nonetheless. But then when the crow came out, you were like, this guy was going to be a, this guy was going to be a superstar. This, this guy was going to be huge. And it yeah. was just one of those things where you were just like, well, man, you couldn't, I mean, cause the movie itself was so good. And you just were like, what sad, sad story, Dory. Terrible. So that's yeah. That's why. That's why we have rules now. Thank goodness. Yes. Yes. So we cut to the Taylor household where we hear Luke Comstock coming onto the front porch. He rings the doorbell, um, and Andy answers and invites Luke in. Luke says his business won't take long. This was going to be the point where I mentioned that he was played by Leo Gordon, but apparently Randy and uh, Christopher take vacation <laughs> vacation together at this point. So We're I don't. <laughs> I don't have anything. I don't have anything to share here. <laughs> I mean, in going and like, he should have had somebody read his letter. He needs someone to like, we'll get there in a second, but like pick a different gift, enter differently. Don't come at night. Maybe introduce the fact right off the bat. Like, Hey, I have this gun for you. That's why I'm anyway. Yeah. I'm well, I'm gonna, I am I'm opening grateful. it now. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a few, there's a few context clues he could have given. Very Totally. Yeah. So Barney, Gomer, and Otis pull up to the house in the squad car. We go in, and of course, Luke means no harm. He's telling Andy that he's turned his life around and is a successful businessman in Ohio. And it's all thanks to Andy, and he gives him a shotgun as a token of appreciation. What a strange gift, though. What strange. Very strange gift. Yeah. Although I will say, I have a lot of family from Appalachia that... They learned the four R's in school. My dad always says reading, writing, arithmetic and route 23 to Columbus because a lot of them would move out of Appalachia and go to Ohio. So this mm-hmm. is also a story that that is familiar to me. Somebody deciding to to make a new life and going to OHIO. I, I was so ready for you to say like in Remington. Like I didn't expect it to be route <laughs> to, the, to Ohio. No, that was the feud. During the feud, feud the that feud. was the that was the fourth R. Uh, the feud is but, the feud is the feud. Mm-hmm, yeah, feud is the feud is the feud is the feud. Racks on racks on racks. And I will say, if you go, I mean, unless especially in 1963, if you went to any southerner and said, "I bought you a really nice shotgun," you'd be kind of like, "Oh." Thank you so much. This is this is the most awesome gift. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, because I believe does he mention? Um, does he say something about him being a hunter? Yeah, yeah. because I know yeah. you Southerners like your like your hunting, or you yeah, there's something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah, trying to connect, but man, 
maybe all that time in prison Changed really, him, really, really weighed on him socially. Well, he, he, he clearly did this on his own. He doesn't have a mentor because if he'd had a mentor or, or, or a spouse <laughs> a or somebody said, they, they, he goes, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write him a letter and I'm going to tell him to, to, I'm going down there to set things straight. And the mentor will be like, wait a minute here. And, um, and then, you know, and then it keeps on going. He's like, well, I thought I'd go to town, get in the hotel. And then I thought I'd call him after, after dark and just say I was coming over. And, um, <laughs> and then he's, he goes, okay. And then he's like, and I'm going to take him my gift. So he goes, what's the gift? A shotgun and they'd be like all right let's somebody should have said hey man all of that sounds like reving yeah exactly (laughs) all of it exactly mic drop so so barney sees the shotgun and turns the light out to protect andy who goes out on the porch to fix it he hears them run in and fall down and he turns the lights back on i don't know how they've done this but the three of them have gotten themselves all tied up it's quite the pickle yeah, it's quite the pickle. And Andy tells Luke that this is the Mayberry knot tying class, and we go to commercial. It's funny. Barney's uh, hair looks great. Oh my god, the hair's so good. The he's there's just a face making. Uh, he tells so much. You talk about that that moment before where you like we don't know how they got into that crazy predicament that they showed us they got into, but he does he does give that extra face right there at the beginning when it cuts to them and his eyes are just like, just tells the state. It's almost like he's rewinding it in his head. It's so good. He's so yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, he is. And, and, and the funny thing is, is, I mean, I was, I was reading. So next week we're having um, Daniel Divase, who's the author of Andy and Don, and he's going to be joining us. And he was talking about a, he's talking about a moment where Don Knotts brought, Ron Howard brought Don Knotts onto the set of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And it made Jim Carrey's day. I mean, it was just, he thought it was the most amazing thing. And the, and the funny thing is, is on stardom and money, Jim Carrey made way more money and was a much, and as far as a movie star goes, was a much bigger movie star than Don Knotts, but look to Don Knotts as just kind of. I mean, it was like he, he was one of his idols. I mean, one of his heroes. It was just, it yeah. was just kind of Don, Don yeah. Knotts ran so that so the Jim Carrey could sprint. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the torch that, that Knotts carried is showing that, that generation of talent like Jim Carrey. I, I can't even necessarily connect anybody else to it, but those are, you know, that's, that's, I grew up watching Jim Carrey. And obviously Don Knotts. I mean, I see, you see those things. I mean, Lucy, even there's, I see some of Lucy in Don Knotts, mm-hmm. you know, what he's doing but again with those eyes. I mean, I'm sure he was watching that Don Knotts was watching thought, her and saying, what a genius. Oh yeah. You know, like Meryl Streep in, in uh, Kramer versus Kramer, you know, <laughs> like just, I actually have not seen Kramer versus and Kramer. No one has. No, I've seen Kramer versus Kramer, and you, <laughs> you're as usual. We were having a very nice conversation. <laughs> so, in the epilogue, Barney is carrying on about how they should move on. Andy is, says it's forgotten. Barney can't just Barney keeps basically doing what people in communications call breaking into jail. Otis <laughs> comes in and apologizes, but blames the whole thing on Barney. He leaves still blaming Barney and Andy starts to say something else. And then Barney says, take a lock. And we go to, <laughs> and we go to the end. Oh, good episode. This is yeah, yeah. so good. Yeah. So Josie, we do, um, we do whistles. We won't make you go first uh, this time. I'll go first this out time since out of 10. How many whistles would you give it out of 10? Um, I'll go first Chris, since you, since you, you did some work for this, actually did some work for this episode. So I, 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 I will, I will not make you go first this time. Here are my notes. Oh, you can't see it. It's like three yes. lines. Three lines. Well, you did, you did do, you did vacation with Randy Turner. So that appreciated too. So I would give this, I'd give it eight whistles. I'd give it nine. Give it I nine? liked this one. This one was fun. Yeah. I, I give it, I give it a nine as well. It's like you said, we're getting into that golden age of figuring out how do we make this wholesome? And also make it so funny and, and relatable. It's, it, they're so real, even in their man, characterizations of things. This is the episode that brings like Justin. Oh man, this is not going to work. Ju- this is like when Justin Timberlake put out Love Sounds in 2004. Like this is the break of him, you know, it's like he's here. He's different. He's doing his thing and it's going to change the world. Yeah. He proved it 
now he's gonna do it yeah right we could say it's like prince putting out purple rain i mean this is like the purple rain of andy yeah. griffith andy yeah. griffith seasons completely yeah this was even filmed in minnesota oh that's like just uh, one or two states away from the dells yeah <laughs> state in the lake away yeah yeah so that that last part is not not true but this is like i mean we could just keep going on this is like the black album of um of, of andy griffith's thesis <laughs> uh, well josie thank you so much for having us today. thank you for having me again i love andy griffith you know i wanted to say chris that i don't know when you started watching i think you started watching and you know aaron is the expert as you have said but i started watching early as a kid around the same time i started watching star wars because of two words that you don't really know that well snow days that's true i never really I, got those that's why i don't get it yeah you Makes just we're, but we're getting you there we're obviously you there. aaron is getting you there randy haven't even met you randy but thank god thank, randy's thank, been through a snow day for sure yeah yeah and, and those snow days were my sister showed me the ways of andy griffith and uh, even little house on the prairie so yeah sometimes those snow days there's there's yeah. basically christopher you would you would you'd be amazed sometimes these snow days consisted with about an, an inch of snow maybe yeah. less but maybe like, less, yes, maybe less. Those are good days yeah <laughs> well thanks for listening any final thoughts before we um get before we go guys Josie, do you want to do any personal pitch? You got a website? Yeah. You got anything coming out? You want people oh. to like and follow, share? Yeah. My oh. goodness. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Josie McCoy. That's Josie spelled like the outlaw. J-O-S-E-Y. M-C-C-O-Y. the other way. You'll end up with his wife. Exactly. J-O-S-I-E. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Are you really married? True. Is your wife really named jo- Josie as well? She is named Josie. And when we met, I said, so you're Josie. She's like, yeah, you're Josie. I was like, yeah. So where are you from? She said, Montana. I said, that's my middle name. And the rest is history. Oh. And you were married two days later, right? That's right. Like, yeah, it's about a day and a half. Yeah. 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 No, All thanks right. so much for having me. Can't wait to, to hear more. And to perhaps watch an episode on some vacation with all of you. Randy can come too. Great. Well, we'd love to have you back on sometime if you're, if you're interested. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Christopher work that out here. So, yeah. so check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think about it, subscribe. Next week, Daniel Divasay, author of Andy and Don, will be joining us. And until then, Christopher. Take a look. <laughs> <laughs>